Hello, hello, hello. This is Josephine Royal, and I'm here to touch a heart today and with my guest, Shindig. How you doing, Shindig? I'm well, Miss Josephine, and very well. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, Shindig is going to touch your heart today, and in a special kind of way with music. He's going to tell us all his about his journey with music. So tell us, how did you get started with music? Well, first of all, what I would like to submit to your uh, fan base, one feel about Miss Josephine having some kind of on-air moniker, such as DJ Royal. <laughs> <laughs> send your, uh, uh, we're doing a poll, so send them in and tell us how you feel about that. And if so, then we'll just go ahead and just call her DJ Royal. Yeah. I uh, like it, personally. Uh, uh, I do. And he'd be my sidekick. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. So, music. Uh, well, I guess, first of all, I was born, and then I heard Dionne Warwick and um, the Beatles and Peter and Gordon and Cliff Richard, and um, I was right in the middle of the uh, British invasion. Actually, it wasn't an invasion because I was born in England. So when uh, I moved to Jamaica at five with my parents, um, I grew up around Rocksteady and um, all the American music that was available at the time, Motown, Sam and Dave, Otis Redding, um, you know, um, Mamas and Papas, you name it. And also through the medium of television, you know. Uh, but in 69, the Jackson Five, that was a group that woke me up. Michael's voice in particular. And the fact that two of the brothers played bass and guitar, respectively, um, that was my inspiration for picking up an instrument. Very much the same way the Beatles had inspired so many in the early 60s to pick up guitar. You know, it was just one of those things. So my love carried me through to this day. Tell me what do you love about Michael's voice. Michael uh, was flawless, and he sang like an adult, like someone who had experienced everything in life. I mean, he was perfect. There's no, before him, I don't think there was a nine or 10 year old that sang with, and with, with the emotion that he did, and with his soul, you know? Um, he, he, was a, he was a genius. And um, he was a teacher without even knowing it. And I think, you know, uh, as some people in Motown said that he sang like someone who was here before. And he just had a knowing. And that, that was his thing. And that, that drew me in, even although I didn't know what it meant. But being used to hearing music done by adults when you're a child and then hearing someone come in and not singing like a child, but singing like, you know, they, they know everything, every little lick. I mean, he was flawless. Plus, the fact that he was with Motown, they had given them material that really um, spanned his vocal ability. You know, um, they just didn't give him throwaway songs. They gave them songs that were really melodic and f extremely challenging. Songs that I dare any 10-year-old today to try and do. So Michael was unique in that way. He really was, I hate to say it, touched by God. 
You know, that's that's just my thing. That's just my belief. So anyway, I I believe that young man was touched by uh, the father in heaven. Um, it's very rare that you see somebody like him. Yeah. Very rare. I, there there are other people that have seen few and far in between uh, that are touched in a special kind of way, but they're very rare. Yeah. I think with Michael Jackson, before Michael Jackson, you had some kids, you know, Frankie Lyman, the Five Stair Steps, the Osmond Brothers, but they were trying to match. They were trying to be small adults. They weren't really, they didn't have that knowing. And then Michael comes along and Michael sets a new standard. And then all the other kid groups that came out wanted to be like him and his brothers. He really changed the landscape of singing for that age. You know, it's like you have to work harder than you thought you were before. You know, this isn't just about singing melodies nice and clear and as they're written on paper. Here's a guy that knows how to sing it with certain inflections, a certain depth, growling, singing about adult material and making you believe it. And that's the thing about a song, is that if you're singing a song and you make people believe what you're singing, then you're doing your job. You're really bringing out that center within yourself and pouring it on everyone else and making them feel it. When did you, how old were you then? Uh, I was nine or 10. Nine or 10. So did you start playing any instrument or was your voice your instrument i immediately wanted to play guitar but michael brought my voice out i didn't know if i had perfect pitch or whatever i just started singing the songs and whereas everyone else was collecting stamps or goldfish or whatever it is that we did at that age um i bought records and that's the first time that i spent my money to go and get something that i wanted and a 45 was 75 cents that was a lot of lunch money to save up to get it but i was determined to get it and i play that record over and over and just i guess study it and i would just sing along with him and it was the greatest joy for me and when i knew i couldn't reach notes that he did i struggled and i practiced till i got it and it was the happiest day of my life when I knew I could hit like all in need, you know, at at his pitch. I felt like I'd accomplished something. So that's <laughs> Michael. I don't I don't think I would have been a musician, probably not anywhere as serious as I have been or had that deep love if they didn't exist. Because for me, it was about the five brothers. I mean, I loved Michael, but I love brother. I thought Jermaine, his brother, um, was a great vocalist, as, you know, as well. And I'm still a fan of his 14-year-old voice at the time. And the way that Motown had produced him to have this interplay of vocals coming in and out, um, it didn't sound monotonous with Michael doing it. You know, his brother came in and they just played so well off of each other. And they had, thank God for Sly and the Family Stone who had come out four years previously because Sly brought this whole new style to music of having multi-vocals within a song. And that's what Motown adapted and um, pushed through the Jackson 5. So the, t the timing was perfect. Now, that type of music, uh, did you just 
fall in love with that type of music or different types of music? I fell in love with that type of music. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, and for me, for for quite a while, I was just stuck in a Jackson 5 um, tunnel. Mm-hmm. But my older sister got me into the Spinners, Al Green, the Ohio Players, Earth, Wind, and Fire. And I think the Jackson 5 sound had started to wane. I didn't want to admit that to myself as a fan. I remember my, <laughs> my older sister and I almost got into a fight because she teased me and said that Jermaine wore a wig. And I was like, no, he doesn't, he doesn't wear a wig. And I was crying and everything's like, you couldn't say anything bad about the Jackson Five. That's how much <laughs> I was <laughs> devoted to them as a fan. Um, but it, it, I fell in love with that sound. You know, it's like, I, I knew, I knew I liked music, but it's, it was just there. You know, I, I could have been a commercial artist, you know, um, if the Jackson Five hadn't existed but when the jackson five came along yes this is it this is what brought me into music and then splintered into a whole bunch of things tell me when uh, uh did you form a band how where did you go and what did you do well as a kid in my teenage years all i did was dream about being in a band First, I wanted a Jackson 5 kind of thing, but I didn't have any brothers, so that was one. <laughs> you know. um, but as I got into the Ohio Players and Slam the Family Stone, and you know, as you remember, there were just so many bands at that time, then that's what I wanted. You know, I was into Earth, Wind, and Fire, and the Ohio Players, and Isaac Brothers as the, like, the premier bands for me that were inspiring, and then Parliament, Funkadelic. And I would just draw pictures of me and a whole bunch of other people on stage with guitars and drums and everything and just having this vision of what i wanted um and then i got into my first band like around 77 which was a reggae band called basic race i was with them for maybe a year or two and then i moved to florida to go to college and joined two or three bands there but i began to realize that they weren't moving at the pace I wanted. I wanted something more. So then I had the idea to just put my own band together. And then when I moved to New York, I tried maybe one, two or three times. And then on the fourth try, I was able to put a band together. But I realized that I had to realize that putting a band together just wasn't assembling people. First of all, you have to like people and you have to care about people and you have to put people together if you can or if you can feel that who are soulfully compatible you know and um i wanted the kind of unit that sly and the family stone had a a a a, a band that seemed to represent everyone you know sly's band for those of you who don't know sly and the family stone was a seven-piece band that had men women blacks and whites and everybody seemed to work on a, an equal level. The women weren't just background singers like so many women were at that time in frilly dresses and you know doing the thing. His sister Rose played keyboards and Cynthia Robinson, an, an amazingly unique musician played trumpet. You didn't see that, you know? And where is it? Probably everyone turned her down because she was a girl. Um, here Sly comes along and says, no, you're playing with me, you know? 
And uh, I don't know if you um, saw this sh- uh, this recent thing that Questlove did called Summer of Soul. Amazing. But Sly is up there, and they're performing up in Mars Park in Harlem. And everyone is not used to seeing this, which was pretty much, you know, the, the reception that they got. But that was the bravery of Sly. But that's what I wanted. I wanted that kind of representation. You know, plus I wanted to just choose people because they're people, mm-hmm. not because of whatever, you know. And um, that's, and, and it worked, you know. And I think it worked a lot because um, my friend at the time, Freedom, we, we had gotten together and we became best friends. And we were both born on October 5. So we had a, we, we had something between us a knowingness between us. And we felt like with the two of us, we could do anything and pull people together. So it succeeded you it know, did. because of that for about 10 or 12 years. Yeah. Well, where did you travel to and how did you? Well, in the States, we traveled to a lot of colleges, upstate New York, you know, Virginia. Um, God, I can't remember. We traveled a lot. You know, we played uh, played a lot of places in New York, we tried to cover everywhere we could, you know, all the clubs that were around. And then we were able to travel to Europe, you know, um, to Scandinavian countries. And we did that twice for maybe three weeks, four weeks at a time and had the best time. And it was just great to do that with people that you were used to playing with, people who were your friends and we all had a common goal, you know, so it was very exciting that we were on some kind of incline, you know, just trying to do everything we could to um, attract record companies and to get that deal where we were, we had a, a safety net or something that we could be musicians without the day job. But uh, don't you admit, it's great to get those deals, uh, but you don't really need that though. At the time, it seemed to be, I mean, it was the thing, mm-hmm. you know, they had the monopoly mm. on the whole industry and that was the thing. You, 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 you get as much, um, as many people on your mailing list, you play as many shows and you draw as many people and you show the record companies that you have drawing power. And of course you try to create that single that will attract them, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, even if you were good, it didn't mean that the record companies were going to choose you. But I'll tell you what a friend told me much later, um, which just helped change my attitude because I was just going on about getting a record deal and everything. And he said to me, my name Calvin, um, good friend of mine, Calvin Gaines, he says, you don't need a record deal. You are the deal. And I took that attitude and I ran with it, you know, and that was in the early 2000s. By that time, I'd given up on chasing record deals I felt that we had tried 10 or 12 years. Um, we did everything we could. We rehearsed three times a week and we were a really, really good band. You know, the name of the band was The Trip and um, we just did music because we wanted to do that full time. So we sacrificed, you know, we didn't even pay ourselves and everybody contributed. We sat down and we did um, mailings. We would um, bring in the 
envelopes, tons of envelopes, and we had the postcards, and somebody stuffed them and everything, mm. and somebody wrote on them, or put, you know, we did all these things, and then I would take it to work. I worked at a major record company. I can't say what it was because they might trace me. But anyway, <laughs> I would take it to um, back to work at a major record company where I worked, and um, I knew people in the mailing room, you know, and they would, you know, I said, listen, man, they would just, like, buy me lunch, and I would give them the whole mailing, and they'd send it out for us, you know? Yeah, but don't you, when you look back on that, don't you feel like you were a family? Oh, yeah. You were a family doing something that you believed in and enjoyed. And uh, I think I look at that. I look at uh, some of the people that are doing it now, uh, and I'm, I'm watching these people, and, uh, and it's kind of uh, unique, yeah. I would say, but... I wouldn't want to be them because everybody wants a piece of them. Yeah. Well, you know, yes, we were like family for mm -hmm. a lot of years. And when it was finally over, I think we all started to realize that we were possibly exhausting everything. You know, we're getting older. Mm -hmm. And I think what happens in a band situation, I'm not sure it happened with us, but I would, I think it's kind of safe to assume that when you're fighting so hard to get a record deal or something of that magnitude, if it's not happening, frustration sets in. And then cannibalism sets in. <laughs> Meaning fingers start pointing, it's your fault why this isn't happening and we're all pointing fingers at each other. And that inner frustration gets in and it starts to separate. And I think it's just a way of people saying, I need to get out of this and go my own way. And that's what happened and we, separated in uh, 2000 and um, it was heartbreaking for me I have to say it's like I was so used to living one way I didn't know how to live any other way and I ended up hating music and I just wanted to study computers and be done but it fell back into my lap and then I decided okay this is about the third time that I tried to get out of music and it came back to me. So I said, all right, God, if this is what I'm supposed to do, then I'm going to do it without expectation. And I'm just going to do it for the pure love and talent. And then I decided just to become a recording artist. Because I thought about trying to put another band together, but I said, there's no way I'm going to be able to find people like that. Or even do I want to even go out and try to, I just didn't want to, you know? So... I became a recording artist as opposed to being a performing artist, which we were in the 90s. So we didn't, um, in the 90s, we had put less attention on finishing stuff because we were looking for somebody else to take care of us. So at the end of all of that, when I looked around, I realized, I said, wow, we have a lot of pictures, we have a lot of cassette tapes, we have a lot of demos, this, that, the devil knows what but we don't have anything that says this is truly finished. So from that point on, I decided that if I'm going to continue, then everything I do has to be finished where I don't have to return to it and I can move on to the next thing. And it took me five years to finish my first album at that time, but I finished it, it was a good feeling and it set a new standard for me. So as a result, I'm working on my eighth album at this point. Is that where you got dig deep? Yes. You That's really dug deep, right? Yeah. 
I figured, you know, life is truly shallow, you know, and um, I just felt like I had to go for something further, not knowing what that was. And even musically, uh, it freed me up of trying to um, tailor make things for the industry because that is a fickle uh, arena. You know, it, it comes and goes. It doesn't wait on you. It doesn't necessarily respect what you do. And you just can't hang on to the, well, oh, yeah, the days when an A&R person really stuck by you and they tailored you and they took care of you in the studio. That was all gone. Mm -hmm. It had become a business. Napster came along and put music out there. And things, I think a lot of things became devalued. Well, let me ask you, some of the music that you have, uh, is it out just on Spotify? Is it out on YouTube? It's, it? it's on Spotify, YouTube, CD Baby, um, Bandcamp. Uh, I'd actually, when, you know, within the last 20 years, a lot of things came up on the internet and you would try to put your music out there on as many things as you could but it was just placing it there. And all these websites were just a way of trying to get you to get the premium um, aspect or, or the level of it. And you realize that a lot of people weren't really visiting those places. So I started to scale it down and just put it on certain places. And I started to put my website together finally about two years ago and um, and just on few places, you know, and tried to direct people to those places. Tried to direct people to the places that seem to be truly working as far as traffic. You know, so it came down to just YouTube, Spotify, um, and as I said, my website or uh, CD Baby. Uh, tell people where your uh, website is. My website is at www.digdeep.com. And Dig Deep is spelled D-I-G-G-D-E-E-P. The music is also available at bandcamp.com slash Dig Deep. So you can find Shindig, and I love that name. How did you f come up with that name? Um, if I remember correctly, uh, I used to go to these jam sessions in New York. Usually the open jam sessions would be on a Sunday. Um, they were at um, this place called Dan Lynch, which was very popular. It was on 2nd Avenue and 14th Street. There, it, there was another one also on Bleecker Street, a major club. It'll come to me. I, it, it's escaping me right now. But Miles and Thelonious and all those type of cats played there. Anyway, you had all these open jam sessions all over the place. And one day I'm at this jam session and my given name is Michael. There are four other Michaels on stage. So the guy, I can't remember if it was Frankie Paris, Congress is all, he's gone, or one of the Holmes brothers. And they're, you know, usually they would introduce the people that were playing. And something like, Michael, Michael this, Michael that, Michael that, and he's come to me, what's your name? And I, I just said, Shindig. And he's like, what? And I said, Shindig. He said, okay, Shindig on bass. And it stuck, because I didn't want to be, I don't, you know, <laughs> If you shout Michael in the middle of New York, probably a thousand people would turn around, you know? So I, I wanted something that was, would just center 
on me, and that's how it came up. But what were you thinking that shindig? I don't know. You know, I mean, I liked. I felt I was like a party type of guy. <laughs> Sometimes maybe not. Maybe um, quite the opposite. And um, it's just one of those things where there's just no reason for it. It was just. It just felt good, you know. And I just shindig. Somebody may have mentioned it to me before, and it it got stuck in my head. If if I remember correctly, when I worked at uh, this major record company, one of the uh, tape engineers would always call me Sinbad because I used to wear these big um, balloon type pants that they tie at the bottom and they tie at the waist, and I enjoyed them. It was just part of my style, you know. And then there was another guy who was part of. They were recording in the studio. You know, Branford would come in or um, Spike Lee or somebody like that, you know. And this guy who was part of the crew, I don't know if he heard me, he kept saying, hey, Shindig, and I'm like, it's not Shindig, it's Sinbad. So I just thought he was getting it wrong. And he did that two or three times, and I just, I kind of just like, hey, whatever. <laughs> you know, I just didn't correct him. And I think it stuck in my head. Just so you know, those pants are still around. <laughs> they are, right, you know. <laughs> Just so you know, <laughs> that's my kind of clothing. Yeah. So I just, I just like shindig, you know, I didn't have time and I just said shindig and um, it just stuck. The group liked it and it became, yeah, it became me. Everyone started addressing me that way. And um, I knew that even somebody told me, he said, um, I ran to someone in LA and um, I said, do you know shindig? And they're like, wait, shindig the bass player? It's like, yeah, I mean, there was no mistaking, you know? So if it went that far, you know, to be identified and there was no mix-up. And of course, I gave it a different spelling. I spelled it S-H-Y-N-D-I-G-G. And the real spelling is S-H-I-N-D-I-G-G. And I also loved the show Shindig when I was a kid. So maybe that's, you know, who knows? Tell me, uh, where do you hope to go from here? Oh, man, you know, you want... I. I want something in a movie. I want to be able to play again. It would be great to get a band together and everything. But, you know, now I have a family. We have a house. It's, we have a, a good life. Um, so it's a different kind of um, challenge, you know. But um, after recording so much, I would love to, um, I'd love to be able to play live again and to play for real, you know, not doing acoustic because it's a substitute or whatever, getting people to record songs I've written or to work as with as many musicians as possible and, um, and to make my living by music only. I don't want to do anything else, to be quite honest. You know, anything else should be secondary. I just really love music. Just this weekend, a friend of mine came into town, one of my best friends, and um, we ended up doing a session and I wanted to cut a single on him. And we spent hours doing this. And we were in heaven. Just recording. No interruptions, no nothing. It was just great. And it's like you want to wake up doing it. I just want to wake up, record, play, play on somebody's material. You want to play on somebody's material? Did you ever put yourself out there to do that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I think the landscape, the musical landscape changed mm -hmm. um it is hard to find people who want to just like sit and be patient 
for something. As my son said the other day, he didn't have time to be patient. And I think that's where we are. <laughs> we don't have time to be patient. And I think my observation, you know, I, I feel like for the last 20 years, I think the American Idol um, mentality has taken over the people. I'm not downing American Idol. I watched it. It's a program, you know, and I enjoyed watching people get <laughs> cut. <laughs> people who thought they were super great and um, just watching the um, uh, Simon Cowell's behavior <laughs> of just, you know, cutting any kind of delusions that people may have had about themselves. But anyway, um, but it, 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 it has, it, it um, that that wave went over into society and I saw it evident in musicians. So it's not very encouraging to try and get out there to worry because nobody wants to, it, 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 it comes in the form of people not returning calls, not turning up on time, things of that nature. And everyone thinks that they're a leader and they can do it on their own. And the, the platform has granted them that, beginning with MySpace, you know, and having, um, um, what am I trying to say, um, recording mediums that are pretty much easy for people to learn. Now, that's not wrong, but the, the mentality that, oh yeah, I can do this by myself and I don't need anyone else, I think has taken on a, an, an astronomical uh, sense of, you know, mentality. I, I think, um people forgotten that they have to work for something exactly i think people forgotten that the practice makes perfect here's what i was leaning up to it american idol i think gave a lot of people the idea of a shortcut to fame so whereas i knew what it was like to rehearse and to spend two or three hours on something with a band drilling stuff i'm not sure that exists anymore and people want to go in and audition and go to the next level the next week and so on and so on and hit it. And that's it. Once in a while, once in a while, you'll see somebody that really has that. Absolutely. Once in a while. But some of the stuff, whoa. <laughs> well, you know, it kind of makes me wonder when a major artist hasn't recorded an album in maybe six years and you only have one or two albums in the span of your career. People once upon a time, I mean, as you know, they came out with albums all the time. You were, it was time to go back into the studio and do your music. But I think people, a lot of people have become more interested in being famous or being a part of the entertainment world. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, an entertainer is Sammy Davis. An entertainer isn't because you're in the entertainment field, you must deliver. Mm -hmm. constantly this is your day job and sometimes it's your night job you know so you have to convince me that you spent a lot of time on your craft and you just didn't do it a week before just to make this show and then you go on vacation you know mm -hmm. so that's just my observation i have no feelings either way about it you know yep yeah no you have to work hard and whatever your job that you do whatever gift that you were given you have to cultivate it absolutely you have to cultivate it whether it's an office job uh music 
what dance you have to cultivate it yeah even being a homemaker that it has to be cultivated because if it's not cultivated properly it's not going to come out right listen when my dad asked me to weed out a lawn (laughs) i had to do it properly (laughs) i couldn't half do it and when i tried he would come out there and point it out you didn't do this one Mm-hmm. Well, you didn't dig deep enough to get this one out. I want it done properly. So if you can't learn that from that point in your life, I don't know what to tell you. Well, there you go. Dig deep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. You did it. You said it. I did it. I, I set it up. I, didn't mean I, to. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, my goodness. Uh, again, I would love for you to uh, let people know where they can find your website, where they can find your music, uh, exactly where, because it's nice to know. Hopefully that you will get to perform. I, I'm looking forward to because I love the sound of your music, by Thank the way. Um, that was my kind of music, by the way. Nice. So, uh, yeah. Well, what I'd like to... Um I'd like to, um, if there any, if there's anyone out there that's looking for material to play, I would appreciate being played on your radio shows, any radio shows that you may have. I would love to be able to submit something and to to have it in rotation. You know, nice. That's that's another way of uh, trying to get out there. You know, nice. so yeah, reach out to me, and also my email is dig deep music at gmail.com and that's d-i-g-g-d-e-e-p-m-u-s-i-c at gmail.com and i also teach bass and guitar if anybody wants to learn the funk or anything you know just um reach out to me okay and it's on spotify on spotify as well i don't know if there's a particular address i think you just have to put dig deep in and it should bring it up and what's the other places too as well? Uh, the other places are uh, cdbaby.com. Okay, and your website? Uh, on that, it would be cdbaby.com slash digdeep. Yeah, your webpage? Oh, the webpage is www.digdeep.com. Is there anything else you'd like to tell us? Well, let's see. Um, it's been raining a lot. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> I know that. Um, <laughs> you know, I... um. Have you taught your children how to play? My daughter plays piano and plays well. Wonderful. I've been trying to get my son to I play drums. You know, um, he hasn't touched it yet. No. His his head is somewhere, so we'll see. But uh, my daughter plays um, piano. But I must say, the one thing, I mean, of course, I'm obviously proud of her. But my wife just picked up trumpet six months ago. It's something she has loved. I wasn't sure I believed how much she loved it because when we met many years ago, it's one of the first things she said, I love trumpet. But it's been my experience that when someone is with a musician, all of a sudden, oh yeah, I wanted to play guitar and I wanted to do this. So I kind of took it half seriously. I knew she played accordion. But um, after 20 years, I ran out of gifts to get her. I'm like, I don't know what else to buy my wife, you know, when her birthday came around or Christmas. And I said, you know what, let me buy her the trumpet. It's something that she always wanted, so I'll buy it for her. And uh, this was in 2019 Christmas. She opened it and the look on her face was gold. She just <laughs> didn't expect it. Nice. And 
last year, 2020, was supposed to be her sabbatical. So she had planned to just take the time and just do trumpet. And of course, you know, um, Mr. COVID walks in and changes all our lives. Yeah. So it didn't happen. But as soon as January hit this year and things started looking a bit more hopeful, you know, um, she picked it up. And um, she found a teacher, a friend of mine by the name of Chanel Jenkins, who is a trumpet player herself in New York. Um, not only is she a good trumpet player, but she's a great teacher. Mm. And, um, and my wife has been practicing diligently. And it's not an easy instrument to play. You know, I mean... If you can't get a good sound of a trumpet or a violin right away, you might want to question your um, um, path at that point. But she's been blowing, man, and she's she's learning and she's doing well. Great. So it's uh, actually got to put her on a record that I'm working on, a single I'm coming on. I, I found something that I thought was easy enough for her to play, and I just wanted to, to give her the experience. So she's on one of my tracks. Wonderful. So one of Wonderful. my trucks. You know, Maybe so. we'll get her in here. That'd be great. I, you know, she, she's going to say, oh, but I'm not good and everything, but, I'll, you know. We'll get her in so. here to get her to play. Yeah. Get and, you know, play. and she has so much to speak about because other than that, yeah. she's, um, she's an educator. Mm -hmm. She's a professor. And um, her work with education is vast and something she's been dedicated to since I met her. She has worked with nonprofit organizations in nice. New York. And um, she's a great teacher herself, um, and she's she's a mover. Her students are just encouraged and inspired. You know, I yeah. I hear her because our mm -hmm. offices are across from each other. You yeah. know, you know, lower level, and um, I hear her, and she's just she's like a um, motivational speaker. She has that kind of energy, mm. and and they 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 get good grades you know that, she teaches adults you know people who are doing phds and that's so wonderful. forth so um yeah she has a lot of experience and has so much to share and offer see that's that is a wonderful thing in this day and age a lot of people need encouragement yeah uh nobody realizes life and death are in the power of the tongue exactly and if you can encourage somebody in their walk, wherever they are, yeah. and whatever they're doing, speech, especially in education, yeah, uh, that's going some. It's like, it's like when she's teaching, she doesn't exist. She doesn't mm -hmm. think of herself. Mm -hmm. She's so much more about taking everything she has within her and just pouring it on people. That, so it's that's a great that, quality. No, that's a gift. You know? that That is a big gift. Um, there's a lot of gifted people out there in different areas some in music some in education mm -hmm. and some just they have a gift and they don't even know it right so um i thank you for coming it was a pleasure to be and here. i we did this again and i can hear you clearly i can too <laughs> and i hope for the best <laughs> i mean that respectfully um today malden I had a wonderful guest, Shindig, and I love that name. I, I, I never heard that before, but I love it, and I hope he touched your heart. I know he has mine. And look up his music. You'll definitely enjoy it. He'll lift up your spirit. And again, uh, what comes from the heart definitely touches the heart. And today, I want to encourage you, uh, look in on your neighbor. 
especially if they're elderly, young at heart. Look in your neighbor, just say hello, drop a card, bring a mail. And I'll see you next time on Let Me Tell You Something.